Welcome to the Modern Jewish Girl Podcast. I'm Jenna, lawyer by training, writer and teacher at heart. I was a secular girl from New York who happened to be Jewish. Then a trip to Israel changed everything as I discovered the depth and relevance of the Torah for the first time. I created this podcast to share deep, beautiful Torah wisdom in an accessible way and explore how we can integrate this timeless wisdom into our modern lives. As a wife and mother with my own personal and spiritual struggles, I know how hard it can be to show up every day with joy, faith, inner peace, strength, and clarity. I share bits and pieces of my own journey in hopes that it will help you on yours. I really want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating, a review, and share the show with family and friends. Okay, here we go. Welcome back. I'm very excited to introduce today's conversation with Rabbi Moshe Gerst. Moshe Gerst is the author of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling book, It's All the Same to Me, which I highly recommend. He's a TEDx speaker and a spiritual teacher who has devoted his life to seamlessly bridging the worlds of the Torah tradition, mystical wisdom, the true nature of the human mind, and our collective struggles. While Rabbi Gersht has really immersed himself in Jewish wisdom for many years, he has been able to take that wisdom and really make it accessible to the general public in a way that is both very deep and profound and yet very digestible and practical. Speaking to Rabbi Moshe Gersht is really refreshing because you can see that he has a sense of inner calm where he's truly connected to his inner world and in that way, he's really operating from a place of higher consciousness, which I think is pretty rare today. And we speak about a whole range of issues. It was hard for me. I really wanted to get very deep into a lot of things, but for the sake of time, I wanted to cover a lot of ground. So we did have to jump around a little bit, um, talking about his book and and his TED Talk and, and different ideas that he speaks and teaches about. But please, God, you'll really enjoy it and find it relevant for your own life. I know that I did. Okay, here we go. Okay, Rabbi Gersh, I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really an honor to have you. My pleasure, an honor to be here. So I wanted to start, we love talking about Jewish journeys on this podcast. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, I know you had a really interesting journey. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I know you were in a rock band, you had signed a record deal, and you were really kind of moving up in that, in the music industry. So you, you basically, essentially, you decided to go pursue learning about Judaism. So can you tell us a little bit how that happens? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, maybe it starts with like my family of origin. So, you know, my parents, uh, they were not uh, religious in any sense uh, growing up. Uh, they they started really showing a deep interest in Judaism uh, when I was probably somewhere between eight and 10. They, they really started, you know, doing tshuva. They started coming closer to to the world of Torah, to the world of uh, religion. And it slowly kind of started to seep in, in my life. Mm. And, but I, but by the time I was 13, I was in a yeshiva high school. So it was, uh, it it was like a quick transition. And even though we, we weren't religious per se, but there was a strong Jewish identity in the home. And so, and I was sent to like modern Orthodox day schools my whole life. Where was this? In Los Angeles. Okay. So, um, So religion kind of came later, but spirituality was very present. Both my parents are very spiritual. I was raised with a lot of, you know, deep, deep connection 
to the world of the unseen, uh, deep connection to God, a lot of gratitude for God. I mean, my, my mother, if she's driving down the street and the red light turns green, it's thank you out loud, right? It's like very much, even though there, you know, there wasn't, uh, you know, bedtime wasn't Dr. Seuss, it was chicken soup for the soul, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of spirituality there. And then somewhere in high school, it really took hold in our family. And then they moved to Israel and I was in America on my own. And then from 13 to 20, it was during that time period that you mentioned for about seven years, I was the lead singer songwriter of a rock band mm. and having a really good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were, we were signed to a record label, uh, the radio MTV for those that MTV is still relevant as a, <laughs> as a, a conversation piece uh, or so even the radio for that matter. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Uh, and uh, it was great. It was touring. It was, you know, we were all best friends. We were having the time of our life recording music videos and, and the like. Uh, and then when I was 20, that's when I had kind of like a spiritual awakening. That's how mm -hmm. I, I look at it. It was, uh, we were at a record release party. Uh, it was where it happened, where someone came over to me and he asked how long I'd continue playing music for, which is a funny thing to ask someone whose full-time life right. and job, everything is music. It's the reason I didn't go to university. It's the reason I didn't move with my parents to another country. I was completely and fully invested in this dream and it was working. It wasn't like a dream and it wasn't, it was right. a dream and it was working. We were on tour with some of our favorite bands. We were wow. you know, having a great time. And I said, how long am I going to do what for? And he said, play music. And uh, I said, I don't know, I guess until we're successful. And then uh, then I'll settle down, have a family. I always saw myself as a family person. Mm. And he said, when's that? And I said, when's what? And he said, when's successful? And at the time I told him to go get a drink or something and that he was killing my buzz. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but that question uh, burned in me like a fever. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought about that a lot. The next morning I woke up and I was thinking about it and the day after and the day after. And uh, for quite a while, I was really living in the question of when is success? What mm. is success? When is success? And, mm. um, after some deep introspection, I realized uh, I don't know what the answer is, but what I see is that you can live and have success in what you do and still fail at life. Mm. That was my conclusion. And, uh, and that sent me on, I mean, it was a heartbreaking realization because right. I just devoted seven years of my life to something. Right. Uh, and my conclusion was I have to stop and pursue truth. And there's a part of me that, that I'm just a truth seeker in right. general. I'm, lo right. I'm looking for reality. I'm looking for, well, what are we doing here? Purpose is right. really important to me. Uh, and and I left the band and that was, you know, I would say in the top five, maybe top three hardest decisions of my life is walking wow. away from everybody. And, yeah. Uh, and I got, and I came to Yeshiva and I felt, and when I came to Yeshiva, I fell in love with Torah. I mean, then it was like, it was almost instant. It was, yeah, it was like a rocket that like was kind of just took off maybe. But yeah. what you said just now is very profound, which is, you know, you could be what successful in the way maybe our culture defines it or the world defines it at large, but essentially fail at life, meaning, okay, you could have been like a really famous rock star, but at the end of the day, would you have had a family? Would you have been connected to God? Would you have had like real meaning and purpose in your life? Not to totally discount, you know, being a musician, you know, that can be very meaningful too, but it's like, I think that you were able to have that realization at that young of an age and to, to walk away from something you put so much time and energy into 
for the sake of like pursuing what, okay, what's really true. And like, what am I really doing with my life? I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. You know, you know, what I find fascinating and I don't usually get the chance to talk about this. You know, I, I, I do a lot of these podcasts and uh, something that I think about almost every time as I'm sharing that story is the back end of this conversation is, well, what did you find the answer, right? Did I find <laughs> the answer to success? Like, did it right. work? And uh, I think that I have certainly for myself. And interestingly enough, part of the answer was I I was living successfully at the time based on how I look at the definition of success today, which is to be in alignment with yourself, with mm. your soul, with God. Uh, and I felt that that's what I was doing. Mm. But, the, but the difference is I think at the time, had I continued going forward and never come to the deep realizations that I had, uh, that might have been short-lived. It might right. have been very easy for me to fall off track, to fall out of alignment and not have that path back. Right. Um, right. So, so that is. Wow. That's very yeah. interesting. So you're saying at the time, in a way you were successful because you were in alignment with who you were at the time and what felt true at the time. And you felt connected to yourself and to God and all that, but then that, but that right. changed and you had to shift with that. Right. And I, and I had to, and I had to learn and lean into the expansion that I was going through. And mm -hmm. to your point, it mm -hmm. wasn't about music. It's not that music was the problem. It wasn't that performance right. is the problem. It wasn't that living in LA was the problem. None of those things were the problem. It was really uh, just a, an inflection point my life where I had the opportunity to really think about what life is about beyond just, you know, the ideas you pick up when you're a kid yeah. and kind of basically find it for myself. That was really right. where it was at. That's amazing. I went through a similar thing, actually. So what you're saying really rings true to me because I, I was studying for a very long time to, to work in like climate change and sustainability. And I worked so hard and I, I went to law school and I did all these degrees and I was like so invested in it. And then at a certain point, I realized like all the mentors and all the people I was like meeting in that field, like all seemed miserable and like overworked and not at all enlightened or people I wanted to emulate in any way. <laughs> and I was just like, am I pursuing the right dream? Like, is this really still in alignment with who I am? And it took a lot of courage, which is why I really relate to what you say. Although I didn't have, I wasn't like gaining, you know, fame and notoriety. I was like sitting in a quarter in like a, in like a law school, but to walk away from that, that path and that dream that I had invested already so much time and energy in to disappoint my family and friends, but I felt a very deep calling, like this isn't your path now and you need to kind of shift gears. So I yeah. And and that language that you said that, that you know you're calling i think that's where we have to be focusing right yeah. we have to listen to what's going on the inside i think my maybe the the turning point moment was one of the last tours we were on there was a band that was on tour and they had their kids with them and i just saw what the dynamics were like between the parents mm. and the children on this tour and mm. um and it just hit me really hard of course they were not the paradigm of what how every parent who's a musician is right. going to treat their kids but that that itself uh spoke to me really deeply of like wow I, i've never thought beyond the stage um, mm. and and i was i was called to grow and being raised a jew and being raised um with a level of orthodoxy so uh, i didn't end up going to india or thailand i, w I went to jerusalem which is right. the, the place you know that we go to to look for meaning and to find depth and i had no idea what i was in for I actually thought that I was going for a short time and then coming back. I didn't know that I'd be spending the next decade and a half wow. living here. 
Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I also had a similar a similar journey in the sense that I also didn't really know what I was in for <laughs> my first uh, Israel trip and then I was just kind of hooked after that. Um, actually, I'll just say as a quick aside, my dad's actually a musician and he plays, you know, classic rock and other genres too. But um, he always says like, he didn't want to pursue music professionally because that lifestyle just would have killed him <laughs> and he just wouldn't have. So just throwing that out there to, to validate. But um, mm-hmm. okay, so... I want, I know this is a bit personal, so obviously only share as much as you, as much as you feel comfortable. But when I was reading the background for your, for your upcoming book, you, you write that you had after the birth of your first child, you had kind of a spiritual breakdown, which led to a spiritual breakthrough. So I was very intrigued by that. And I was hoping that you could share a little bit about what happened and and what you learned from that experience. Yeah, for me, that was a challenge that I couldn't have been prepared for and a blessing that I'm so grateful Mm. for every day. Uh, So, I mean, I had been married for about a year, maybe a year and a half at the time. And I was about 26, right? So I was a young guy, uh, relatively newly married. And thank God my relationship was great. You know, I love my wife. I loved her then. I love her now. So that's good. (laughs) That's good. Uh, But but when um, my first child was born and it didn't really end there. That's really just when it started. Uh, It was the first time I really felt this like very, very strong, but like overwhelming responsibility for, Mm -hmm. for anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't think that is to say I was an irresponsible person before, but there was this overwhelming feeling of responsibility uh, Mm -hmm. that was almost, um, and in some ways uh, crippling, like I, I didn't know what to do with the emotions. Like Mm -hmm. it was a lot. I feel very deeply. And I felt very, and my, my oldest daughter is a deeply emotional human being. So we have a kinship that, that goes, you know, way deeper than skin deep. Mm. And, and that was the beginning of a process. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just having a child. It was once I started finding myself being overwhelmed, I started making decisions which were different than what I was doing before. And within a very short span, within a couple of years and another child later. Um, so having two kids and then uh, finances are, you know, you're, you're worrying about, you know, bills and trying to take care of a home and I'm trying to take care of my wife and I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing next, the next stage of my life. And lots of things just started to build and build and build and build. And at a certain point, I found myself feeling distant from God, distant from my soul, distant from who I was my whole life. Mm -hmm. And this was at a point where I had just invested now probably seven, eight years into the world of Torah and Kabbalah and Hasidus and so deep, deep ideas. So philosophically, I I probably should have had a PhD in Torah by this point. So you would think you're flying and you've got all of this wealth of beauty and depth and wisdom. And I've got a a wonderful wife and I've got these kids and it's like all blessing, just blessing. And yet on the inside, um, I felt like I just wasn't cutting it. I wasn't cutting it as an individual. I wasn't cutting it as a husband. I wasn't cutting it as a father. I wasn't cutting it as a human being. Mm. Not that not that I actually wasn't, but those were the feelings. Um, and it, and it brought up, um, a part of like my youth, a part of my past of not feeling good enough, not mm. feeling that I was really adding up to who the vision of whatever it is I thought I was supposed to be. Mm. Uh, and so that was a very painful time. And I would go and I'd give a lecture and people would be excited and inspired by what I'd say. And I'd come home and I'd just crash on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> like just like feeling dark and feeling, you know, mm-hmm. sadness and lots mm-hmm. of shame. 
was a, it was a challenging time and that lasted for a couple of years. Wow. So, and how did you kind of work through that? I'm also somebody who's like a very deep feeler and I think it's, it's a gift, but it it's also can be very challenging <laughs> because it's like, it can be, like you said, like just very overwhelming. And it's like, you have to kind of learn your inner world and learn how to ride the waves and learn, almost ha- learn how to like be in touch with yourself and, and con- I don't want to say like control your emotions, but allow space for them and, and know how to process them in a way that you can like function and like be, be like a healthy individual and not get dragged down. I don't know if that's at all what you like went through, but I'd be curious to hear kind of how you, how you dealt with it. Yeah. I'd say that there was a combination of things. Uh, one of them first and foremost was therapy. I never thought of myself growing up as a person that needed to go to therapy. I think there was still stigma around it while I was growing up. Uh, yeah. but it was really, really important for me to have someone who I could speak to and work yeah. out a lot of these inner issues with it was like mm-hmm. super important. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like congruent with that, that's when I realized that I needed to go to a deeper place in terms of my relationship with Torah. What I found was the Torah I was learning was beautiful, deep, inspiring, intellectually stimulating, clear, all great things, but not changing me. Mm. And I I didn't know what to do with that. That was like a reality. I felt very um, not content with. It, right. it, felt, it felt wrong. It felt like, how is it that um, I could spend hours and hours a day in studying and prayer and and yet still feel like it's not moving the needle inside and mm-hmm. if if it's not whatever it is whether it's torah or any other practice for that matter if you're doing something and it's not moving the needle inside so we've got to question something it's either the thing on the outside or the thing on the inside but there's right. but there's a there's, there's a, a miss yeah there's a block or a misalignment that's happening mm-hmm. and so that's when i really started to get deeply into the world of Hasidus. Mm. Um, the world of the Baal Shem Tov and his entire reality, uh, who's the founder of Hasidus and uh, of Hasidus, Chabad Hasidus, really just trying to go in there because I just found that those were Torahs that were really moving the, the, me internally. I, I went yeah. to spend time with uh, people who were more immersed in that wellspring. Mm. Uh, and I, I started to see movement. And then eventually the, that combined with good therapy um, and the chance occurrence of uh, falling uh, the the book, The Power of Now uh, by Eckhart Tolle fell into my hands. And I think that was the first, again, I was probably 28, 29 at the time. uh, And I I had never read a book. And that sounds embarrassing. I had never read a book outside of Torah. I was nearly 30. That wasn't, I wasn't a big reader when I was in the band. And by the Mm -hmm. time I started like immersing myself in study, it was all Torah literature so that I was like inculcated with all of that and then when I started that was just the kind of like the the opening book uh but then I went very very deep into that world of a lot of modern psychology uh pop psychology uh new age spirituality uh maybe some of the original texts also over there and just was enamored with the confluence of universal ideas again not every path is exactly the same but the underlying principles are mm-hmm. and there's a language and uh it was just so beautiful so between my own inner work and kind of working through you know my own therapy with uh going deeper into the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus and at the same time starting to branch out and see what the rest of the world was looking at in terms of uh how they were relating to spiritual growth self-development into you know integrated personal transformation mm-hmm. uh 
I, you know, I kind of found myself in this place where I felt alive and aligned uh, mm-hmm. in the deepest way that I had in my life. Like I, like it made anything that I had before, um, it was unparalleled in terms of like how deeply I felt connected, the insights, the creativity, the clarity. Wow. Uh, it was just a, uh, very like there was there was a momentous like period in my life where once everything kind of came together and coalesced, um, feel feel very grateful for that. Wow, that's so cool. And in a way, I kind of came from the opposite because I read The Power of Now. I believe I was like nineteen in college, and it really I loved it. I was so into it, and I was very into that like new age spirituality and kind of Buddhist. That was what I was being exposed to in college because you know, liberal arts school and all of that. Um, and then when I started learning more about Judaism, it, it so I was kind of like the opposite, like, uh, then I started delving into Torah. And I, like you said, there are like parallels in like a common language, um, there between the paths. And, uh, that that's really cool though, that you were able to, that you're able to use, um, those texts to inform your, your journey and your path. And, and it seems like that, that congruence of like the Jewish, um, the Jewish wisdom and the, and the new age stuff, the modern psychology, all that kind of combined maybe to, to influence your book. It's all the same to me. Is that, is that kind of the product or one of the products of that inspiration? Yeah. I think, you know, if I were to set it up in order of like how it impacted me is, you know, I, I prefaced with the fact that I was learning all of these ideas and they were beautiful and deep and inspiring and great and big. Um, but they weren't, translating they weren't coming all the way home and what i found subsequently was those ideas still true there was a way to bring them home Mm. and i found that in the world of hasidus and i found that in the world of a lot of the more modern books maybe mostly books written in the last 50 years or so maybe 70 years um and so it was the same ideas some of them verbatim right like extreme like some of them actually quoting the same pieces of you know the bible or whatever it is and then um but bringing them out and expressing them in such a way where uh they were tangible and digestible and those matched with my inner experience Mm. i think that's where you know there were so many things happening at the same time right so i was going through my own kind of transformation while i'm learning from different wellsprings and learning from different people. I, you know, I'm also friends with a lot of people who um, are deeply involved in, you know, 12 step programs and listening Mm -hmm. to them. And I've, you know, I've read the big book, you know, deeply have studied it uh, comprehensively and it's beautiful. There's so much happening in that path as well. And just so many, so many pieces along the way that, you know, it, there was uh, like a flowering of a, of a consciousness inside of me that happened over time. Mm -hmm. And once that was there, it wasn't immediate, but not long afterwards. Um, maybe I felt, you know, the clearest sometime in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of 2019, uh, I had like a, a strong download that I should be sharing this universally. Meaning I, at, until then, I thought that my my life's mission was going to be teaching to small rooms of 15, 20 people, you know, in the back of, uh, you know, shoals or classrooms or whatever it is. And yeah. uh, I, I just had a deep realization that this is how I should be using my time and energy. And uh, wow. it's been nothing short of a, a tremendous blessing the whole way through. Wow, that's so cool. So so yeah, your book, it's all the same to me. I mean, it's kind of just what you're describing, just sharing this beautiful, beautiful wisdom, um, the different influences that I guess have been inspiring you in a way that's very relatable. I mean, like I even gave this book to my father, who's not 
orthodox, but he, he loved it. He related to it. It was, it was deep. It was, it's deep. It's profound. I, I highly recommend to whoever hasn't read it. It's all the same to me. It's really an amazing book. I, and I wanted to just, obviously there's, we could spend hours just talking about this book, <laughs> but um, because I want to ask other things as well, I'll just ask, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, that the premise of the book is kind of like what all, whatever happens, whatever external circumstances are going on in our lives, um, we can have inner peace and happiness um, and we can control our inner world regardless of, of the changing external circumstances around us. So um, maybe you could speak a little bit more about the idea, the main idea of this book and how we can kind of make it real for ourselves. Because like you said, it's one thing to be learning amazing wisdom, but if we're not able to bring it down into our lives or if it's not changing us in some way, then, um, you know, it, it's, it's not like reaching its full potential. So. Sure. So the, the book is based on a concept called Hishtavos, okay. uh, which is, uh, I think as, you know, clearly stated as early as a thousand years ago, but rooted from the text already back in Tehillim in, in Psalms. Um, and it comes from the word Shavet, which means the same or equal to. And the Baal Shem Tov, when he describes Hishtavos, he says Hishtavos is to live with a notion of Hakol Shavet Etzli. It's all the same to me, which mm. he's the, the root and the source of the name of the book. Mm. And before going too deeply into that, maybe even just using the name of the book as the anchor is really uh, the right uh, the right way forward. Mm-hmm. When I say it's all the same to me, sometimes people get the the sense that I mean be apathetic to reality. Right. Like it's all the same. It's all the same. Right. It's all the same. Uh, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look around, it's all different. Every human's different. Every moment's different. Every atom is different. Every every we're actually in a world of separation, a world of differences. And the Zohar calls this world the Alma de Peruda, the world of separation, because mm-hmm. it's not oneness and sameness; it's separation and difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that's what makes the world beautiful. If it were all the same, if it was all the the one unified white light, there'd be no conversation. Right? Mm-hmm. There'd be no right. Uh, the the dissonance and the friction is what allows life to be. So when we say it's all the same to me, um, I could have called it it's all Hashem to me which would mean it's all God to me. <laughs> right. right. And that's really, then we're starting to get closer to the home of the message, which is mm. sameness is the one unifying light that underlies all of reality, mm. which means even though everything is different and looks separate, there's actually a unifying connecting piece, mm. an energy that per, that is pervasive in reality, that is beyond and transcends time and space, um, that transcends ideas and concepts, and that is present in every single moment and every single place, right? So right. all that exists in time and space has that um, energy, that light, that presence that's within it. Right. So Hishtavas is the ability to, and which, by the way, is not on the surface, right? It's beneath the surface of reality. Right. Hishtavas, or the concept of equanimity, is the ability to live with consciousness of that reality while mm-hmm. still being in this reality on the mm-hmm. surface right so in the world but not of the world mm-hmm. uh, so i'm with you in you know in line at the bank but mm-hmm. i'm also aware of a higher consciousness mm-hmm. and a deeper presence right that's happening while we're living there so practically speaking um it's all about awareness right? mm-hmm. in the beginning it's awareness of space and time and just being present with what's happening and not getting so caught up in our heads 
Right. That right because it's our it's our brains, it's our minds that are trained to think in past future, past future, past future. Mm-hmm. And because we're we're past future oriented thinking about what happened before and why we're upset about it or dreading or fearing what's going to happen, you know, five right. minutes from now, five days from now, five weeks from now, five years from now. <laughs> right? So that back and forth keeps us disconnected from what's happening in the here now. Mm-hmm. And the here now is where it's all happening. Yeah. So the beginning is awareness of this, the time and space you're in. And then beyond that, awareness of your own inner world, emotions, thoughts, um, and then more awareness would be awareness of the paradigms you're living with and then uh, allowing to go deeper and deeper until it starts getting very quiet. Mm. Um, And in that quiet, right, you start to have opportunity to bring new light into your life. So Mm. that's the premise, I would say, ultimately of the book. That's beautiful. The way you describe that is really beautiful. So that that kind of omnipotent, omnipresent energy that you're describing, like at least in Jewish thought, that would be God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that at least for my own spiritual growth and development, like I, even before I became religious, I sensed that, and you call, you speak about it, I think as the universe in in your book, but like, I sensed very strongly more and more that there was like a universe, there was a guiding energy, so to speak. Um, And then when I started growing in my Jewish observance, I started to translate that as God, you know, and like connecting to God and seeing his hands in events and, um, you know, yeah, I, I started to kind of live that reality of like, even if things on the surface aren't working out the way I think they should be working out, trusting that there's, there's a God, a loving God who's in, in control and, and ever present and, and guiding things the way that they should be. And I think, Obviously, you know, I'm not always able to do this emotionally, but when I, when I am on that level and I am really able to let go and, and realize there's a higher power and my small mind of what I think should be or shouldn't be, you know, isn't like the defining thing. And when I can really let go, I actually feel like so much freedom, inner freedom and inner peace. And, and yeah, that, I think this book has really helped me to just kind of let go in a lot of situations where I feel like I'm kind of gripping and I'm, I'm, and I don't even realize I am, but then I'm like, Oh wait, I'm like, I'm really trying to control this thing. Let's just like let go. And then I just kind of watch as things unfold. And it's like, okay, if it works out the way I wanted to, that's great. And if it doesn't, that's also okay. Um, Cause again, there's like a higher power that, that knows what's best. So. Yeah, no, that trust, that letting go that you're describing, what it does is it, it's really giving you two things at the same time. Uh, trusting in the good of God, the good of the universe, the good of uh, capital T truth. When you're when you allow yourself to trust, which is a practice in its own right, uh, two things happen. Number one, on your subjective experience, you're actually leaning into hope and mm-hmm. a positive outcome, and mm-hmm. that feels good, right? Mm-hmm. Just on, just yeah. from the subjective. Yeah. But objectively, when you trust, so. Let's. I assume you're talking about trusting that something's going to work out. So you're looking. You're actually right. in future, future orientation. Yes. So trust is about future. So what does trust do? Trust is a gate. Mm. It is a gate that you walk through, and when you walk through the gate of trust, you allow yourself to be present because I don't have to worry about the future anymore. Mm. That's really good. so. So the feeling that you get when you're trusting is the feeling of presence. Mm-hmm. That is what you're getting because you're now not worried about the future anymore. Wow. 
I never thought of it like that. That's really, that's awesome. And it actually leads beautifully into the next question I have, which is I watched your TED talk, which again, I'm just going to say everyone should watch <laughs> Rabbi Gersh TED talk, TED talk if you haven't already. It's really great. And you speak about trusting that the universe or that God is going to support you in your dreams. And this is something, again, that really resonated with me as someone who was kind of on a path that my parents very much wanted me on. And then I kind of just went rogue and, <laughs> and I, I followed that inner, uh, that inner voice that told me you know, I had a dream, you know, and I followed my dream and I, and I trusted that I'll get more into it about, about my book and, and, and how I felt God was going to support me. But I want to ask you about how you were able to build that trust in your, in your own dreams and maybe how we can work on building that within ourselves. Cause it can be very, a very scary thing. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, sure. So I, I'll say two points. And one of them is just me being candid and honest, which is like I mentioned before, I was raised in a very spiritual home mm-hmm. and I was raised with very, very deep foundations of trust your inner voice and listen to yourself, mm-hmm. like lis- listen to yourself. And those were um, whether they were uh, expressed or subconscious, like those were the messages I was receiving a lot and a lot. And you're a so lot lucky <laughs> as a child. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm deeply blessed. And so, because that's true, I, you know, intuition was very strong. Uh, that's that's how I knew that I was far from God in my mid twenties after I had my kids and was trying to figure out life uh, because I felt far from my own intuition. I couldn't hear that voice. I couldn't, you know, the, the part of me that's guided, you know, every aspect of my life, I felt far from. And so because uh, I had that training, uh, listening to my inner voice was natural. Um, Mm. And to this day, it's like I lean on that for everything. And when I don't, if I don't, you know, if I get too overly logical about it, I always regret it. Yeah. Um, So that's my that's my my candid share, which is, you know, I was given a gift of having that first. Now, that said, I did go through a period where it it felt missing. There was a couple of years where I did feel that dissonance. So I went through this chapter of my life where I had to find the voice again and Mm. find that space. So how'd you do that? So I would say, you know, the way I like to think about it is the word for mother in Hebrew is ima, mm. right? And so in English, that's spelled E-M-A. And that's an acronym I use, right? If we if we get most of our consciousness from the place that we're raised in. So, for, you know, the, the Torah speaks about the, the fostering of a mother. And so E-M-A to me stands for education, meditation, and affirmation. Right. Wow. And it you're retraining yourself, you're giving yourself opportunity to go back. So what that looks like is um, if you want to find and build trust in yourself and trust in the universe, the first thing that we can take responsibility for is, well, what are we putting in our minds? Mm. So if you're filling your mind with YouTube shorts and TikToks and uh, filling your mind with Netflix and scrolling. So yeah. that's that's how you're educating yourself. That's what you're putting in. Right. Right. And so the very first thing is, what are you putting in your brain? So if you're reading or listening to something positive and good, if people are listening uh, to your podcast, Baruch Hashem, uh, they're going to hear great things. And that's really positive and good. And if they're going to listen to some great audiobooks, or they're going to sit down and learn a piece of spiritual literature, or they're going to have a conversation with somebody who's um, who has something deep and meaningful to share. Uh, that That's one of the first places right? Where we can actually start to reprogram the way we think about ourselves or the mm. way we think about the world we're in. Mm. Educate. That's the reason why Torah has put such a, a strong emphasis on education from day one, right? right? There's like the, the, one of the most important things that we care about um, as a, as a Torah 
uh, person, as a person who associates with Torah, is education. We yep. care about what goes into the mind. Yep. Uh, we care about expanding our consciousness, expanding our awareness of self and reality. So that's one. Uh, the second piece is meditation. And I can't stress it enough, the importance and the power of finding time to get alone internally to get quiet internally, to get still internally. And uh, and meditation is a practice that uh, just continues to produce rewards and benefits throughout an, an entire person's life. And what you're doing in meditation, it's not a doing. I mean, that's the whole, right. the whole act of meditation is not acting. It's not right. doing. It's actually just allowing yourself to come back to center, to mm. find that stillness. And so when we talk about building trust in oneself or trust in the universe, trust in God, well, part of that trust comes from stepping away from doubt and fear, which are all the thoughts that are clouding our mind. Right. So you can't just take positive ideas and as a band-aid and stick them over a gash that needs to be fixed right mm -hmm. and, and hope that that's going to be okay so positive thinking although it's wonderful and great and it's better than negative thinking um but if there's if it's a on top of noise and chaos mm -hmm. right so it doesn't stick the same way right so there there is a power to just getting quiet and going inward and sitting with your thoughts sitting with your emotions sitting with your body relaxing into your body yeah. and getting real with life being yeah. present and when you're there right so now you have space for the light and so the light will be what we call the third stage over here which is affirmations and when i say after I, I literally just mean to affirm that which you know intuitively if you're not in a bad place <laughs> yeah right right uh, most people will tell you if they're feeling good and positive and they're plugged in and they're having a good day and they're grateful and they're joyful they'll they'll tell you life is good. I love myself. I love my parents. I'm so happy to be here. Like it just comes out naturally. Like, yeah. look at the beauty of life. It's like when, so, so long as nothing's impeding the psyche, right. And like causing blocks of, of thought and energy, um, when you feel good, you see a good world. Yeah. Right? So, so affirmations are the opportunity to affirm those thoughts, you know, and, and if you don't have it naturally be, for one reason or another, so then that's what you're picking up from the education. So yeah. if you're learning a piece of Torah, you're learning a piece of, you know, uh, psychology that's really helpful for you, or you're, you're just reading some good news, you know, that happened in the world. And now you take that, the concept from there and you, you bring it inward. I would say th those have been not just the three things that I used at the time to kind of pull myself out of that funk, mm. uh, but are part of my daily practice. Mm. You know, I, I can't, I can't have a normal functioning day without allowing myself to go to those places and wow. uh, remember the the truth of who I am and what life is. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And uh, thank you for breaking that down. I love that acronym, IMA. It's very, it's very true. And I, and something that you wrote in your book that really resonates with me and I've seen in practice is like davening or prayer is us, you said, is us talking to God and then like meditation and maybe even like journaling is like hearing or really more meditation is hearing the answer, is hearing God's answer. And like we, I, I was somebody who meditated, you know, before I, I started even pursuing Judaism. And so like coming back to that in, in a Jewish context has been really great. And, and like, it's almost like a lifeline, like you're saying, like you need to do it every day because I find when I'm not doing it and it's just like input, 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 input. And then you're, even if it's good messages, like you said, even if it's positive stuff, but then you're not kind of taking the time to like, just get in touch with your inner world and, and just stop inputting for a second and just process and, and hear like 
the inner messages, like, like you can be very, I end up feeling very blocked and just very, um, it's, it's not good. So it's really, um, it's really a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I feel, I think very necessary, especially in today's world with the amount of stuff coming at us online and, and with the phones and just constant, um, bombardment. So yeah. It's a- yeah. And maybe the, the bonus after education, meditation and affirmation, maybe the, the bonus is conversation. And, and what I mean by that is um, under underestimated, but maybe one of the most important things in our life are who we surround ourselves with. Yeah. And if, the, if there are people in your life that believe in you, yeah. that will help you believe in you. If there are people yeah. who believe in a good world, that will help you believe in a good world. If you surround yourself with people who are negative and pessimistic and um, are quick to to judge and have a lot of opinions. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to take that in. Again, it's right yeah. back to what what's, what's going in our minds. It's uh, so so su- super, super important to try to find people who are, uh, who are aligned or on the same path, who, who yeah. want to be on the same path. Yeah, it's so, so true. And I think especially... For sure, like in our in-person world, you know, our our family and our friends and the people that we surround ourselves with in person. I think also, especially online too, where like people are following, you know, influencers, and it's like, are these do these people have match my values? Like, is this somebody that I really want to be like listening to every day or watching every day? You know, it's I think that's something that could be also very helpful in our in our crazy world today. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't um, I don't know how this. Um, this take, what I'm about to say, how it'll live over time. Uh, I guess we'll see, but there's a, a new platform called Threads. Uh, Instagram created a new oh. uh, Twitter style uh, communication platform oh. where people are are using text. And I have found it to be so beautiful to see the com- the real conversations that are happening, real conversations about growth and development, about consciousness, awareness, about God and the spirit. Um, and it's not just pictures, Right. And right. It does. It does. You don't get the feeling, at least not yet, because it's relatively new, that it's just about getting followers and likes, but rather there's a community that's developing over there. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's quite beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Whenever you see a community developing and it's around something solid and strong, uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. Totally. And I feel like it's kind of <laughs> kind of rare, um, especially because it's so easy at least online to it's, it can sometimes be a lot about appearances and superficial. And, and even, even if people are sharing deeper messages, sometimes that like you, you share beautiful quotes online, but sometimes there's just so much coming at you um, that, yeah, it's beautiful. I actually, I really want to check that out. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to ask you about your upcoming book, the three conditions, which I'm very intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm excited to read it. Um, it speaks about your spiritual journey. And so it sounds like kind of part biography, part, maybe self-help or inspiration and how you can, how one can essentially live their best life through these three conditions, um, which you say are intention, certainty, and joy. I was hoping you could just speak a little bit about, about the three conditions, the idea behind the book and maybe how they relate to one another. Sure. So the three conditions are, like you said, intention, certainty, and joy. And they're based on a piece uh, in a book called the Mishnah Brura, which was written by the Chofetz Chaim uh, in the early 20th century, uh, speaking about, uh, one of the, the the very first custom that uh, you know someone who associates with Torah is going to do on Rosh Hashanah, they're going to sit down at a table and they're going to do something called simanim, which is looking at food, and they're going to make word plays. Mm. And those word plays are, you know, they're going to look at a 
uh, you know, a, a it's all in Hebrew. So I, I don't know if the, the word place makes sense for me to translate them in English. But you could, if you were holding a date, you could say this year should be a year full of good dates if you're trying right. to get married or something like that, right? right. So you're, you're using word place to bring out positive messages and blessings on the food, which is an interesting way to start the year. Yeah. Um, and there's something deep about that, which is we want to look at the world and see the things that show up on our plate, if you will, and be able to see them and translate them and interpret them as blessings and good mm -hmm. things and mm -hmm. as opportunities for prayer and connection. Mm -hmm. But while that's happening, he says, there are three conditions by which that blessing then becomes powerful. And mm -hmm. those three conditions are intention, certainty, and joy. Mm -hmm. And what those three things mean is there's three ways to catalyze the power of a positive thought and a positive interpretation. Mm -hmm. And number one is, intention our highest intention is to be our authentic self to live in alignment with our soul mm. to live as an expression of our higher consciousness so how authentic and real am i being do mm. i believe in myself and my own worthiness and my connection to the infinite certainty is am i certain that life isn't an accident that life is happening with purpose and meaning direction, guidance, connection, that all things are connected in time and space. And it doesn't mean I'm certain things are going to go my way, but I'm certain things are working out in an evolutionary way, which means things are moving in the right direction. And I can be open to the future, right, without getting caught in the past. So I believe in myself, I believe in a good and loving universe. And so when I have those two things, what I naturally feel is the third, which is joy. And right. joy is the barometer. It's the measuring stick by which we can measure, well, I mean, am I really in alignment with those first two? So mm -hmm. if I'm feeling unhappy, it's either because something's going on where you don't believe in yourself or you're upset about life. Yeah. Either you're not good or life's not good. Yeah. And so, but if you feel you're good and you believe life's good, then you feel good. That's the, that because that, you're, you're interpreting reality in a way that's with this higher alignment. And this is all within the context of from the mind down, not from, you know, maybe that higher mind that we were talking about before. Mm. And so once you have that, you're translating the, the way you think about yourself and you think about the world in a way that brings you joy. So then your life becomes supercharged. Right. You're now you're now a uh, an energy vehicle for co-creation in the world, for being a partner with God in bringing out reality in a way that uh, you just couldn't have done before. So the words are important and the thoughts are important, but even more are your your intention for life, your certainty in a, a good reality and mm. the joy you feel in the process. Wow, that's so beautiful. I'm excited to read the book and like delve more into that because that was very profound. It's almost like a roadmap roadmap to living like your best life. And I think it's it what rings true to me is this concept in Judaism that like we're not chasing happiness or joy like that. We shouldn't be like chasing that. It's more like a natural byproduct that happens when we're living like correctly, basically like that. Yeah. I think you said it exactly right. I think I used to think happiness was a goal. Right. Over time. I then thought happiness was a tool. Mm. And today I, I know that happiness is an indicator. Right. And it's letting you know that you're doing it right. Right. Which is so, so so it rings so true. And it's, it's not a widely, like in the, in the secular world or in the world at large, I would say the more ma mainstream world, I think people are, a lot of people are chasing happiness or, you know, that is, that is how people think of it. Like, I want to be happy. I'm trying to achieve that result. But, but yeah, like you just said, and like the Torah says, it's, it's really not that way. It's like, 
almost in a way, like the more we chase it, the more it'll, <laughs> it'll like flee from us, kind of like chasing honor. Um, the Torah says, but like, again, like when you're living your right life, you're, when you're aligned with yourself, you feel good about yourself. You feel good about the world. You trust in God and um, the universe. Then, um, then that's going to be like the natural byproduct or the barometer. Right. And that joy is really the flow of self, right? It's, uh, you know, again, it's, it is a translation of the mind, but ultimately what we're saying is when you believe in the world and you believe in yourself, then you stop questioning, you stop overthinking, you mm. stop getting caught up in the mind, you actually become present, mm. right? So when you are present, you are filled with a certain level of light, of love, of joy, of peace, of freedom, right? And in that freedom, there's the expansion. And that expansion is everything, right? It, it you know, one of the, you know, the tagline um, at our website is because joy is your nature. Mm. Um, and, and that's because everything we're pointing back to is you can do this because that's who you are. Joy right. is your nature, right? You can do this because joy is your nature. It's what's behind all the thoughts and the emotions and the, the stories we tell and yeah. the things we get caught up in our lives and our dramas yeah. behind that. There is a wellspring of joy. When you were a child, you look at any child, you know, yeah. assuming nothing's bothering them in the moment, they're smiling, they're giggling, they're, right. you know, they're enjoying life um, because there's nothing holding back that natural sense of like, oh, I'm alive. Like, it's good just to be here. I'm just right. happy to be here. Right. And everything's amazing. Everything's <laughs> interesting and fun. And Yeah. It's, it's really, that's so true. I almost, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but I, I think Rebbitzin Heller, I heard this from Rebbitzin Heller where um, like how every Jew has a neshama or every person, you know, has a soul, the light within them. And, and sometimes that light can kind of get covered in what she calls like garments. Like it can, the light can be dimmed within a person because of experiences or, or things that happen and, or negative messages they're hearing or telling themselves, whatever it is, whatever's blocking them, it's, it's like covering up that light. But then it almost, it almost sounds like the way you're talking about that, that inner joy is like, it's kind of, it's within us. It's just a matter of uncovering it and kind of getting through all the garbage and, and the stuff blocking us from, from accessing it and accessing our relationship to ourselves and, and to the greater universe and God. And, and then, and then that joy kind of gets revealed, but it's there the whole time. It's just a matter of like uncovering it, so to speak. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, cool. That's very It's very cool. Um, so I wanted to ask you, is there an idea right now that you're kind of engrossed in or an idea of spiritual growth that's inspiring you personally right now? I mean, right in this moment with you here on, on the screen. It doesn't seem uh, right right now. I'm saying like in general, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. <laughs> I'm, I'm really inspired by the power of stopping. I think more than ever in our time, in our generation, uh, we are in the quickest paced reality that we've ever been moving at as yeah. a human race. Things are moving fast. Your phone is always off the hook. There's notifications and there's people can reach you at any hour of the day. It's, it's And there's always something to do. And there's incredible stimulus. Like you said before, your brain, even if it's good, good things, there's right. we're constantly being stimulated and there's something to stopping. Yeah. There's something to stopping. There's a verse that says, Lo barash Hashem. That means God's not found in the noise. Mm, wow. God's not found in the noise. So if you're looking to connect to God, stop. Wow. That's so, that's so beautiful and so true, especially for our generation more than ever. 
And uh, I think it's almost like an obligation now to like create that space because otherwise I think you just go crazy with the onslaught of the messages and the, the world we live in. Um, and I, I mean, I can't help but think of Shabbat as, as the, I mean, it's thank God that we have that time and space um, to, that we're like forced to disconnect. Um, I'm very grateful personally to have that. Mm-hmm. I really don't miss my phone during those 25 hours. Yeah, no, me neither. I, I'm so grateful for Shabbat every week. Yeah. Any any of the holidays to step away from the phone is really great. None of that is to say that these things are bad. I do want to uh, mention it's all good. It's all right. very good. We right. live in the best time. I think the fast paced movement and progression is awesome. You know, who who wants to go on a slow roller coaster? Nobody, right? It's like, that's not fun. Like, you know, if you're going river rafting, it's like, it's more fun if the river's moving fast, you know, right. the energy's moving fast, everything's moving fast. And that's, it's good. It's exciting. It's fantastic. The The only thing is with so much momentum, uh, one can get caught up in the stream mm. and there's something to being present in the ride while it's happening. And so mm. we do need to take breaks, breaks throughout the day taking a conscious breath, stopping, closing your eyes for 30 seconds. Ask yourself, when's the last time you sat and did nothing? When I say did nothing, I mean no phone, no book, no computer, no person, nothing. Sit on a chair and look outside and do nothing. Yeah. And think about when's the last time you spent 10 minutes doing that. And it's like, wow, 10 minutes in, in nothing is is never nothing by the way it's yeah. very powerful yeah it's so so true because again it's like even if we're not technically meditating during that time it's just giving yourself quiet and a chance to kind of process and be with yourself um not have any sort of distraction and i actually read recently i think i think it was ami magazine some one of the the jewish magazines had an article about being in quiet and how that actually produces like real, like physical and psychological benefits, just being in quiet. Um, so that's something I've been thinking about. And I try to like take those moments in the day, just no music, no, no stimulation, just quiet. <laughs> yeah. There's a, uh, there's a passage in the Torah when uh, the, the people rebel against Moshe and uh, they say they don't want to go into the land of Israel and they're very upset at him. And it looks like they're about to start a mutiny and they're going to start pelting uh, their leaders with rocks. And one of the 12 spies who went in with them, his name was Kalev, and he gets up at the podium and it he he says something uh, pretty loud to get their attention. And the verse says, Vayahas Kalev as Amen. Kalev quieted the nation with whatever statement he had said without going too deeply into the passage. And the Ramchal, one of the great Kabbalists of the 18th century, writes that he understood that there was so much momentum of noise and a desire for violence and frustration that they were all feeling. What they needed, if there was going to be a chance at repairing the relationship here, was quiet. Mm -hmm. And that's why the verse goes out of its way to say, and Kalev quieted the nation. He said something in order to, you know, to hush the crowd. And in that hush... Now maybe people could hear their souls again. They can get a little bit of perspective. A little bit of quiet will give you a little bit of perspective. A lot of quiet will give you a lot of perspective. And that's what we're looking for. That's so beautiful. I never heard that, um, that commentary on that, on that part of the story. That's, that's very beautiful. Cause like the people, they were getting caught up in the, in the stream, like you were saying before. Yes. 
And it was like taking that minute. And then there was group think, right? When people get yeah. caught up in group yeah. think. So then all of a sudden you're not thinking for yourself anymore. So the, right. the only way to get through to anybody is to create a level of quiet of like, let's, let's wow. shut everything down for a moment, disconnect from all the minds that are around you and go back inside. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Beautiful. Thank you. I was, I was actually, as my last question, I was going to ask like, what, what's one concrete action that we could do now, but I think we've just been talking about very clearly that we need to uh, take some time, even just to sit in quiet. I think that and that's like a very concrete action we could all do right now that um, could, could be really positive. Um, so I actually want to change my last question. Um, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, when you were talking about how, um, you weren't necessarily personally connecting to, to the learning you were doing until, and you kind of found your way into Hasidus, Chabad Hasidus and Breslov Hasidus, which also has spoken very much to me. Um, I really think of myself as like a Lubavitcher and a Breslover. I like, I really, really do. Um, I, I'm curious, maybe if you could just say like for people who are listening and are may, maybe want to kind of look a little bit into those streams of wisdom in those worlds, like what would you recommend um, or maybe you could speak a little bit how those, how Breslov and, and Chabad has kind of changed you. And then also how people can kind of ac access, um, those worlds a little bit. Sure. Well, in terms of access, I mean, thank God there's a, an, an abundance of material available online. There's incredible teachers, uh, men and women who have incredible depth of understanding and connection to the world of Hasidus in general, and certainly to Chabad and to Breslov. And I think Breslov has a website breslov.com yeah. probably and i think chabad has chabad.org so like yeah. you can find tons of stuff there and there's a tremendous amount of of uh content on youtube and it's it, like today one of the things i speak about very often is today there are no excuses if you want it if you it's want it hard. it's there it's everywhere yeah. Yeah. If you want it, it's there, you know, yeah. any book you ever wanted, just go to Amazon, right? Like, <laughs> you know, any idea you want to learn about, just go to YouTube. Like if there's yeah. no excuses if you want it um, and how it's affected me personally, I just think that, you know, I, one of the verses that I think about and I quote often is a verse in Isaiah that says, uh, it says, Kimala aretz Hashem, uh, that the world at the end, at the end of the, uh, the human experience as we know it, the end is to be filled with God consciousness, mm. the knowing of God. And uh, Rabbi Nachman in Breslov Chassidus uh, translates that as the world will be filled uh, with the knowing of love, mm. of love and light. Mm. And and that's, I think, the underlying message of Breslov Chassidus, but it's really the underlying message of Torah, and it's really the underlying message of spirituality in general, mm. and it's really the underlying message of life, which is we're in a movement. We are in a movement of evolution we always have been we're growing and developing as individuals as as families as communities as people and we're, we're all moving in a direction of awakening that to that light and to that love mm -hmm. and um for me that was that's the core idea in Hasidus is mm -hmm. can we reconnect to the truth of who you are as a, as a human being and yeah. what life is and what life is about. Uh, and I think that's, that's where it's hit me the deepest because it resonates just at the deepest part of my soul. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I think kind of similarly for me, like what really has always spoken to me about Hasidus is that I find like it kind of meets me where I am. And like, it's about really loving myself, even with my imperfections, even because of my imperfections and my mistakes and, and, uh, 
yeah, it's kind of taught me like a form of self-love and meeting myself where I am and still being inspired to grow and be better. That is what inspires me to grow and be better is like when I can accept myself, you know, and feel good about who I am and where I'm at, even if I want to be so much more, um, that that's really, I think what, what it's done for me, especially, um, breast love Bechabad as well. And, uh, yeah, so thank you. That was re- really beautiful. This whole conversation has been so beautiful and, uh, I'm personally excited to like re-listen to it <laughs> and I hope our, our listeners, I'm sure they've gotten so much out of it. So thank you so much Rabbi Gersh for your time. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and, um, wishing you nothing but the best in everything you're doing. Tremendous blessing to you and to all your listeners and to everyone who's listening. Uh, you're worth it. And the world was made for you. I mean, thank you so much. And to, and to you as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. I really appreciate it. Have a great day.